This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast, where we talk everything Pennsylvania outdoors. If you enjoy deer hunting, fishing, trapping, or just being outside, then this podcast is for you. Our goal is to showcase the vast opportunity that the Pennsylvania outdoors can experience. We hope this inspires you to get out and enjoy God's creation in the Keystone State. Here we go, episode two. This is Devon and Mitch, and we are back from uh, early turkey season. This is... Uh, mid-May here, so we had some, some successful turkey hunting. At least I didn't, but somebody here did. Is that right? Yeah, I guess I guess you could say that. It's hard to believe that turkey season is, for the most part, winding down. I mean, there's still, still guys out there turkey hunting. But well, when you shoot one the first day, it makes it a whole lot quicker, doesn't when it? When you shoot one the first day, you kind of move on and start thinking about other things, which we'll touch on too. But, yeah, I guess... Uh, the last time we talked was right before turkey season. We were all kind of going over the if, ands, and buts. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to get right into how our turkey season has been going so far? Well, you might as well. So, I mean, let's start with the positives because I think the last time we talked, you were like, ah, I'm not going to get a second tag this yep. year. I yep. think I'm going to stick with my first one. Then you shoot one the first day, and you're going, <laughs> I wish I got that second tag. Right, right. So, opening day, what happened with you? Yeah, so, yeah, that is correct. I only had one tag, and my initial thoughts going into the season was I was going to stick to, uh, I was going to hold out for a long beard, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's what you should do, right, when you only have one tag. But, um, yeah, first day, I hunted with a buddy. We had quite a bit of action, and um, usually I we kind of take turns doing a little bit of filming, and, uh, yeah, it's just always something I look forward to going up hunting with him. And, uh, yeah, early on in the morning, we had two Jakes come in. Um, two Did you hear anything off the roost? Well, not very far away. It was super windy that first morning. Um, Got that right. Very windy. I think what that day was like 25-mile-an-hour gusts. I don't know. Places. I was glad to be in a blind. It was windy, yeah. It was nice to be in a blind. But, uh, yeah, this was about probably an hour after daylight. Okay. We had heard one. They had flown down. We'd heard a couple faint gobbles, and then um, one started replying to our calls. Um, I don't know, probably 150 yards away. Gobbled the next time right at the edge of the field, and out steps two Jakes. Um, it was them that was gobbling, but they they came in, and after strutting around the decoys for <laughs> a while, so you you didn't have to do much coaxing. They saw the decoys. Yeah. You're, now correct me if I'm wrong. You were set up at an open. Crop field, correct? Yeah, correct. It was an old cornfield. The turkeys were co- used to coming out there quite a bit. Um, so that spot we've hunted in the past, and yeah, it works really well for just sitting. Mm-hmm. If you want to just sit and wait, because usually at some point in the day they come through there. Sure. 
So, um, I guess maybe backing up a little bit, I had brought my bow. And so I decided, being as I have never actually shot a turkey with my bow, well, I've shot turkeys with my bow, I've never recovered a turkey that I've shot I with see. my bow. I see, okay. So I hit one or two that got away. Um, I shot one, the last one I shot with my bow, I ended up finishing off the shotgun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to kill one with the bow. Right. And, uh, yeah, they were strutting around the decoys, and we could hear another turkey back in the woods gobbling yet. I was like, you know what, if I shoot one of these, we're not going to blow it. You know, it's not like when you whip out the shotgun and you feel exactly. like you kind of just decimate the area. Um, so I shot one, made a good shot on it, ran off 30, 40 yards away, fell over. It's pretty cool. Got everything on film. And, oh, did yeah. you? I'll have to see that. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun, and I have no regrets shooting it. It was it was great. We actually ended up doubling up. Then later on in the morning, my buddy shot a long beard out of the same blind. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so that was really cool. But yeah, then uh, come the next week when everybody else is out turkey hunting and I'm done already, it's <laughs> it did start bothering me a little bit. But um, I did get out a couple times. Well, I went out with you that one time. Yeah, we went out one morning and they made, made a fool out of us. Right. Made a fool out of me. A lot of times. <laughs> I went out with uh, went out with my dad a couple times. Um, yeah, so I've gotten out a couple more times, had some action, but yeah, um, did not witness any more getting killed. Yeah, I uh, opening morning was kind of dead for me. I saw a hen, didn't hear about any goblin. I had to leave early. Um, I had to go to a, a funeral that morning okay. and, and yep. then a wedding after that. So I had a uh, action-packed opening <laughs> weekend and not in the turkey woods. Yeah. But uh, the uh, if I would have taken the shotgun opening week, I would have killed one. Um, I went for the first hour, two two or three mornings that first week. I think it was, did you want to go Wednesday? Yeah, I think it was Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. so Tuesday morning I called a bird in and it was really foggy. Called him in. And uh, I later ranged it at 45 yards, but at the time he was uh, he was it was so foggy in my range finder yeah. I couldn't pick it up, and I couldn't even see the bird through my peep sight. So there was no way I was going to shoot your bow. Correct? I had the bow. Yeah, yeah, I took the bow the whole first week. And you know, if it was a shotgun, it was a dead turkey. Right. It was in a wide open, stopped. Yeah, uh, it would have been easy. But uh, you got away there Wednesday. You and I went after him. And kind of did the same thing, gobbled yep. mid-morning, didn't hear him off the roost, but he gobbled mid-morning, called him in. I think he got as close as he got, was about 70 yards. Yeah, probably. And just hung up and worked his way back. And then uh, I went after him the next day, didn't see or hear a thing. And then I hadn't gone out until I had one more morning that I went out, and I had worked a different bird. Uh, so week two, I worked a bird that... I took the shotgun, and I made the mistake of getting a little bit overly ambitious and moving in pretty quick, yeah, okay. and had a bad setup is what yeah. happened, and ended up where he came up is not where I thought he would come up, and it was too thick, and uh, just didn't happen, but had him close, had him gobble, but I just could not get him to break out of these, this thick stuff, and then a hand got between us and ruined it, so yeah. that's been my turkey hunting. I had... Uh, I hunted upstate this past weekend uh, at our cabin. Didn't see or hear a bird. I actually saw a hen, and we called a bobcat in. Okay. Was yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So he, that cat came into your call? And yeah, 10 yards. Wow. 10 yards and sat there on his on his rear end looking at us until hmm. 
till we uh, finally moved a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I can't say I didn't have an action-packed turkey season, and this is the time of year for me where I, I run out of time to turkey hunt. Yeah. I might be able to get out here on Saturday here and there, but weekdays, it's kind of next to impossible for me anymore this time of year with work. But, no, it was, it was a good time. But it definitely, uh, I contemplated going turkey hunting uh, tomorrow morning, but then I thought, if I get out and start work earlier, I can get back earlier, and I can start spraying food plots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you start transitioning to uh, things other than turkeys this time of year, at least it, I do. It doesn't take me long to start transitioning to whitetails. Uh, right. I think that's all I think about most of the year, except for a small portion of the turkey season, <laughs> yeah. and I'm still thinking about the year. Right. When they go past your blind, you're like, man, you start to develop out past his ears. That's yep. pretty nice. Yep. Yep. <laughs> for sure. So... I am going to spray two food plots dead tomorrow in preparation for planting in a few weeks for spring planting, but that's a small percentage, um, and that's going to kind of lead into what we wanted to talk about was preparing for planting season. Now, by the time you guys hear this, you know we're going to be mid planting season. Um, yep. Most of my most of my uh, green growers are just about finished up. We've had a dry spring here. We've been able to get a lot in the ground. And I think anybody who's, you know, ambitious in food plots is going to be doing the same. You've got yep. corn in the ground now at this point, too, correct? Yep, yep, that's right. We got our six, five, six acres of uh, corn that we usually plant every year out at the farm in the ground last week. Um, went out there for a couple of days, got the ground worked, planted, and, uh, yeah, it is, it, yeah, like you said, it is pretty dry. And uh, we could, now that seeds in the ground, we definitely could use some rain here, but... So I, I got to start by asking, why do you even plant food plots in the first place? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So, I, well, part of it is um, I we enjoy it. Um, it's, it's probably almost as much my dad's thing as it is mine. Mm -hmm. um, it's something we've, you know, we always enjoy, and it's, it's fun when you can plant something and see the deer utilizing it, or, or wildlife in general, really. Um it's also nice to have food plots to hunt over. It's also nice to have a food source in the late season um, to keep the deer there and to feed them throughout the winter, you know, even after we're done hunting. Mm -hmm. Usually with our five, well, this year we're going to have, like I said, almost six acres of corn, <clears throat> and that's more than we've ever had um, before. So I fully expect that corn to last into, you know, February. You know, so th those deer will have something to eat all winter, mm -hmm. so we don't have to supplement them or anything. Um, so that that's the reason I do it. All, well, all the reasons I do it. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Those are good reasons. The, the main reason for me, my, I, I'm a fanatic. I want to try to shoot a mature buck. Yep. That's all it comes down to is I want to try to shoot a mature buck. Pennsylvania, we have, we still have a very high hunter density. I, I believe we're still the highest hunter density in the country. I don't I know if that's so. changed anymore I since think. then. I better get up on my facts here if I'm going to start spewing stuff out like that. But Now, we have a high hunter density, and we don't have a very high concentration of mature buck. But we're, right. we're starting to see more. Yep. And I think food plots play a huge role into bringing deer into the next age class on a property. And, you know, a lot of people think on a, on a small property... And I'm going to say small properties, anything under a square mile, which is uh, a doe's home range. It's not yep. even the, encompassing the, a buck's home range. But on a small property, 
most people would say you can't do things to influence that. And I would argue you can. I would argue food has a lot to do with that, but yep. it coincides with your, your your hunting strategy. So my goal is to have consistent fall food source, and it's going to be peaking throughout the entire hunting season. And if it lasts into the late season and after the hunting season, that's going to benefit deer all the better. But my goal is really trying to keep a concentration of a local deer herd in a place where I know they're safe in daylight hours. Right. That's been my biggest focus. Um, so the ways I've worked at doing that since I, I uh, live and hunt in an area with very high deer density, uh, we've transitioned to only having a good fall food source. Right. Having yep. as much diversity as possible. It's all in the same location. I say diversity, I mean number of species. Yep. But it, it's all the same in each plot and counteracting that with good quality bedding nearby. Right. So, you know, a couple of the reasons why we plant food plots, I think there's a couple of reasons why not to plant food plots too. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you brought up a great point, and it's, it is a, a fantastic thing that if you have the ability to plant enough that it can last into a critical stress period, that's fantastic if you can do that. And right. More power to you. But it's, yeah. it's not something that everybody can do. Yeah, and I should have added that. You know, for us, we have the luxury. So we have, you know, 100 plus acres, a little over 100. And I think about 10, 11 acres total of food. You know, that's, for, for most people, they're dealing with, you know, a quarter acre food plot or, yeah. or a half acre at most. And so, you know, in reality, you're not going to feed the deer through the winter. Um, sure. But, yeah, I should have added that. That's that's one benefit we have to having a little more space. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I'd love to get to the point, but we're at, uh, I think the property's over 200 acres, and it's all wooded. So every, anything we do is going to be a cleared opening. We yep. plan. We're up to six acres, I believe it is, five acres maybe. Okay. But uh takes some time. So one thing I, I want to keep in mind is, for the average person who's planting a food plot and they've got their, their back 40, yep. 20, even 10, yep. whatever it is, you don't have to have the mindset that you have to feed deer. It just has to relate to whatever your goals are. Right. My goals are I want to have consistent daylight movement and that I don't blow out. <clears throat> I think the hunting industry has done a great job, of, or the food plot industry for that matter, of saying that, your deer need this nutrition. You have to plant this because it's great. And this plant species is going to provide 30% protein and very high energy. And it's just an absolute need. And I think those are just justifications or at the end of a hunting season, if we don't accomplish our goal in hunting, I think those are all things that we say or keep in the back of our mind to say, well, at least I fed the deer herd well. Yeah. Um, even though it really, in the forefront of your mind, you're thinking, I, my hunting season didn't go the way I expected it. Yeah. Um, so keep that in mind. One thing that, I, that blows my mind every time I hear it is David Morris was a, who was a very well-known biologist in Texas. He did some research that he found that a year, one acre of year-round food plots will feed up to three deer. Oh, wow. Based on his research. Yep. And I think there's a lot that, that varies a lot. But right. think about that. One year, most of us aren't even planning a food plot that has food in it year round. Exactly. But he's figuring that that's covering three deer. I mean, we, the last time, 
uh, time we did any kind of survey, we were at 80 deer per square mile. Yeah. That's a lot of acres. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't add up in the sense for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> One other thing I think we need to keep in mind is while soybeans, while peas, clover, a lot of those high energy, high protein crops are good, and I'm not going to say they're bad things. Keep in mind, a lot of the natural vegetation that we have has a natural protein content of 14 to 17%, ragweed, pokeweed, natural occurring forbs. Those are all things that the deer can utilize as good as any. And I, I, I believe it was a Penn State biologist that said it was up to low 20% protein in a plant. So if, if uh, your, your crude protein in, in a plant sample was like 21 to 22%, that was the maximum that a deer could actually utilize. So like let's, let's say if you have a, a soybean plant that's got you know 32% crude protein when you do it, you know, all the, the, the fun stuff that goes in those plant samples for digestibility. It's not to say that the, the rumen is going to be able to utilize all 30%. Yeah. The deer is going to take what it needs at that point. Yeah. So while those summer food plots are something that are great, it doesn't mean you need them. Yeah. You know, Especially yeah. if you're in a world of soybeans surrounding you and alfalfa yeah. surrounding you, you really need soybeans and alfalfa. Right. Now you, out where you're at, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a sea of like corn, soybeans, and regular farming yeah, yes and no. There's a lot more just regular grass hay okay. in that area. Um, yeah, we do have some neighbors that plant corn. We don't see a lot of soybeans. I think it's just because the deer density is pretty high in that okay. area. Um, but yeah, a, a pretty much corn. Um, so now that would all get taken off, you know, in October. We let our stand. But Okay, so you've been able to, you know, if there's deer in the area that are on, feeding on corn, you know, they're, they're feeding on the silts and they're, you know, after tassel. That comes off, you know, they might, you know, not relate to that corn as it gets ch uh, chopped or, uh, or combine for that matter. Yep. But then from there, you've got a setup that you can transition from corn that's still remaining, and then you've also got greens, right? Yeah, we do. Yep. So that's basically what we do in the spring. Come August, you know, mid-August, um, yeah, we do small grains, we do brassicas, that sort of thing as well. So okay. we try to have a little bit of diversity, like you said. Okay. And really the only, so we do have a little bit of clover, not a lot, but that would really be the only summer food that we really have. Uh -huh. um, so we had cleared some new ground this spring, and we planted buckwheat in that just for something to be in there over the summer. We'll, we'll kill that or till that or whatever and put probably brassicas or small grains in there in August, but... Other than that, we really don't have a lot of summer food. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, now granted, the deer are going to eat that corn a little bit, but not not sure. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Our our focus is fall and more than that, late season. I mean, that's my that's where I really like the corn. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, December on. So I was talking about different species, and you know, you have greens and grains on your farm. What you're able to do with that is you've got clover that's going to be good early season. Yep. You've got multi-species greens, um, winter annuals such yep. as wheat, rye, brassicas, some annual clovers. Things are going to peak anywhere from September in through November, maybe yep. even into December, depending on how much they eat it. 
and then you've got standing grain that's going to be good sometime whenever i mean right you know, it all depends on the weather it, it, it does let me, let me, but i would say on average probably november yeah until season close right so you're able to capitalize on on a lot of that in theory and have a lot of deer on multiple species so don't put your eggs in one basket if you can't have standing grain because they're going to eat it too much which is my case and which is what i'm going to talk about here in just a second you can accomplish that with with other species, yep. but you got to make sure that you're not just putting all your eggs in one basket. If right. your goal is to maximize it to hunting season, yep, yep, yeah. I see some guys. So in here at the shop, we sell a lot of, of seed and help try to try to help a lot of guys, you know, start their food plots and whatnot. And I see guys. You know, with their little quarter and eighth acre food plots going in the spring and planting corn. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, till the coons and the deer and whatever all else. And the tree and lines. The tree lines. You got, what, um, maybe a quarter of that quarter acre that's actually making an ear. And then, well, that only takes me. You have a herd of deer come through there. They'll eat that cornfield out in a couple nights. It doesn't and take so long. there you got just, the, uh, just stalks that aren't doing any good. Um, yeah, so then you're either talking about you need to come in and, and replant something in the fall. Right. Yep. So, like, like I said, keep in mind, I, I'm, there's nothing wrong with beans, there's nothing wrong with corn, there's nothing wrong with those plantings. But if you're going to invest that much into it, yeah, um, you know, so, some people, hey, some people, money's no object, and I know people like that. Yeah, but at the end of the day. <laughs> I make this joke. My wife, maybe if I did it twice, my wife would kill me in a year. So I just try to do it once. Yeah. So it's kind of a little goofy joke. But yeah. No. So, a <clears throat> couple things I wanted to touch base on. If you have a property that you have enough acres to encompass um, corn, soybeans, or or summer crop, such as that, a couple things I think you ought to keep in mind. Sweet spot for a pH before before you even start planting. Take a soil test. Yep. That is the cheapest thing to help you leaps and bounds. So please, and I stress this because I'm an agronomist, please take a soil test. Yeah. Um, you know, you can throw as much fertilizer as you want if your pH is where it needs to be. You're, you're just wasting money. But keep in mind, I like for, for, for corn soybean rotation, I like a pH sweet spot of somewhere between a 6.5 and a 7. I still think six eight is perfect. Not too, not exactly uh, neutral because you take in good micros. But I'm not going to bore everybody with that. <clears throat> so, if you're looking at a soil test and you're seeing your pH somewhere between a six and a six two, pull the trigger on one ton of lime per acre. Uh, per- preferably a, cal- a, a quality calcium or a magnesium limestone. If it's below a six, if it's a five nine eight or lower, do not exceed more than two tons in one year. Put two tons on. Just test your soil again next year and see what it turns to. So, if somebody wants to uh, go get a soil test for somebody that has no idea how or where, well, the best thing you can do is just come to Little Mountain Outfitters, right? You, you can go. come pull yeah. a soil test because you'll, you'll get everything you need. Yeah, bring your dirt in here and we'll send it off for you. Um, there, there is a couple things you can do. So, uh, if you're listening to this in, in the great state of Pennsylvania, Penn State. Has a lab and they do a great job. If you go on Penn State uh, University's website, you can fill out the information to send a soil test. There's a lot of labs you can do it. 
The other thing you can do is a lot of your your seed companies that you're yep. buying seed from, I know Whitetail Institute's ones, I think Real World might be. I'm not sure yeah, if they do or not. So. A lot of those seed companies are at the point now where they're also giving you fertility recommendations and soil tests. So, you know, talk to somebody you know that might be able to point you in that direction. Go to your local ag store. Go to somewhere that can, that can just take a bag, you know, a handful of dirt and give you a point in the right direction. Yep. So, in the world of corn, if we're going to be pushing 160 bushel corn per acre, and I'm talking, you know, agronomically speaking, you know, most of us aren't pushing it that hard. But keep in mind, if you're going to, if you're going to invest in a corn crop, which isn't really a, a cheap investment, right. is it, Devon? No. Um, you're going to want to feed it appropriately. So keep in mind that 160 bushels of corn is going to pull 160 pounds of nitrogen. It's going to mineralize some of it from the soil, but it's also going to need some of that from fertilizer. It's going to take, um, let's make sure I got this right. It's going to take 48 pounds of potassium and 64 pounds of, of phosphorus. No, I have that backwards. I'll say that backwards. So moral of the story is we need to put some fertilizer. Yep. So my recommendation is split apply your nitrogen, put 100 pounds of urea on it planting, and put another 250 pounds on when the corn starting to get anywhere from two leaf to knee high. And that's a, that's a fantastic way to supplement. Put your P and K on it at any time. A lot of the time, if you put 150 pounds of potash on, which is 0060, you're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of where you're at. Granted, get your soil test before so you right. know if you need to put fertilizer on in the form of phosphorus and potassium, but nitrogen, you're going to need to do either way. You're going to need to feed to some degree. Maybe you don't need to push for 160 bushel corn, but you need to feed to some degree if you're going to maximize the potential from that crop. Right. You're spending the money for the seed. You might as well feed it. What's the point of investing? Because, I mean, seed corn's not cheap. I yeah. mean, you can get cheap seed corn, but, I mean, there's some seed corns you're going to pay two, $300 a bag for. Yep. So are, yep. We really gonna, are, are you really going to make that investment and not get the maximum potential? Yep. So for all the guys that are probably, you know, like, well, we have, our plots aren't near big enough to even consider corn, What uh, what's the next best option if you want to do something in the spring? Good question. Um, the, in my opinion, the best thing you can do, and you got to keep in mind, are we talking low deer density areas or high deer density areas? If you're in a high deer density area, mixed ag, full ag, whatever that may be, do we even really need to have a food source on your property at that point? Right. Um, I would encourage you to not have a food source, but have something that we can pull deer in in the fall. Uh, if we have deer on your property from fawning season through, and they're not only eating your food plots hard, but they're eating all the native browse and vegetation on your property that you should be working very hard on to keep in the good, you know, in the right state in the first place. We'll talk about that another time. It's a whole other yeah. podcast. Now, um, you're going to really diminish the the overall attractiveness of your property because you're going to each have a house at home. Yeah, in the summer. Absolutely, yeah. in the summer. Yeah. So, I think it's good to keep in mind what your deer density is. If you have a high deer density area. I think one of the best things you could do is plant a sub summer cover crop that does not have a great deal of traction. The reason for that, it's going to feed the microbi microbes in your soil and it's going to pull nutrients out from a deep 
space in the soil, from a deep profile in the soil, bring those nutrients up to the surface in the form of a, a vegetate, uh, in the form of the vegetation that comes up, you kill it and it becomes a slow release fertilizer in the future. Yeah. Um, couple species that I found really work good. So if you use a, a sorghum sedan grass, it's a fantastic summer cover crop. It's one of the best for, you know, soil health and, and pros, but you can put multiple species in. You can do buckwheat, you can do uh, peas and sunflowers and sun hemp and all kinds of stuff. You can get all crazy in it. There's a lot of uh, good seed companies out there that have that, and I don't think I need to go into great detail about that, but if you're doing something that's limiting the weed base in your soil, yep. that's fantastic. Yep. And you would probably say, rather do that than let yourself your plot sit empty. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if you're going to let your plot sit empty, you're still going to have, uh, you know, ragweeds and you know, grasses, mostly grasses and foxtails and fall panicums and a lot of stuff that's not real beneficial. A lot of this stuff grows really, really thick. And then, you know, if you're going to be doing a tillage or you're going to be doing no-till, um, just isn't the best thing to plant into. Right. But if you use species that are more beneficial for your soil, number one, you're going to have dual benefit. It's going to prepare the soil a whole lot better to plant in the fall. Number two, it's going to be able to keep soil health much better. It's going to have a deep root. It's uh, a, a deep root structure that's going to stabilize the soil much better, and it's going to have uh, soil health benefits to it. So you're, you're kind of getting the best bang for your buck there to go into fall and plant something into. What you'll notice is the more that you can do that, the less fertilizer input you can get away with. Yeah. But that's a whole other thing, too. So a couple other things. Soybeans, they're going to pull the same amount of, of nitrogen out of the soil, but they're a legume, so we don't have to put nitrogen on. 150 to 200 pounds of potash is a pretty good thing to go, assuming you have low fertility in your fields. But they're going to take anywhere from 50 to 60 pounds of phosphorus out of the ground and 75 pounds of potassium out of the ground in a 50 bushel soybean situation. Keep in mind, keep your fields clean. Burn down with Roundup and 2,4-D when you plant, before you plant. Um, and if you have Roundup-ready soybeans and Roundup-ready corn, you can use Roundup in a post-emerge situation. Yep. I try not to get too carried away with residual herbicides for, for food plots because a lot of time we're planting something that's going to carry right. over into those. Right. So keep on top of them is my biggest thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, last crazy thing that I'm going to be doing this year that is I'm, I'm going to try planting a patch of sorghum for food plot. Food plot in... And, you know, sorghum, you think of, and I think of pheasant places. Right. Uh, it's not really a highly attractive food plot, but there's an area of the property that we own that has such high gear density that for the past how many years, we've, we've just hardly been able to get anything to grow in last in hunting season because they just, they leave us out of the house and home. It's a one acre food plot that will be annihilated a lot of the time in archery season. And Absolutely. we've tried. We've tried clover, we've tried summer summer uh, cover crop of buckwheat that we thought maybe they would just back off the pressure a little yeah. bit. They didn't, they annihilated it. Uh, we've done just straight cereal grains, and that's done really well, but it still doesn't last the whole entire hunting season. Getting to the point where I'm seeing erosion, I'm seeing weed problems because we have exposed soil all the yeah. way around. 
So I'm going to try something different. Sorghum, which is something that deer are going to stay out of until it fully matures and ripens. Yeah. And you're going to reduce the, the acids that are in that plant to a point where it's edible to them and they'll eat the seed head. But my goal is I can have a field of standing grain that, in theory, I'll be able to broadcast a small grain like wheat or rye into. So I should have standing grain that's going to be mature in hunting season only. And I'll be able to have something that is actually green and growing in the summertime. Yeah, right. So, so your plans are to let that stand, not not cut it at any point? That's Right now, that's the plan. Yeah, exactly. Right now, the plan is if we can get a, a good sorghum crop established to let it go, fertilize it and feed it, and go in maybe sometime in August, mid-August, early September, broadcast wheat, broadcast rye, yeah, maybe something other, some other small seed. We could put, uh, you, you could put like a crimson clover into. Yeah, probably not going to see a lot of benefit from that in the fall. Right, but there's a couple species we'd like to broadcast into that, and hopefully we'll have green and grain standing. Yeah. If uh, if something doesn't go well with it, you know, we'll terminate it and yeah. take it as a summer cover crop. Yep. But it's a concept that I've I've seen other people do. Uh, one of the things I always think about is uh, <clears throat> biologists I, I really like to follow over the years that talks about when he was early on in his career and he was he was viewing this food plot that deer were coming into night after night after night. It was just filled with sorghum. And he thought, I, I've got the greatest food plot that's ever been known to man. It's drawing deer in from every, everywhere. And the next year he went to another area and tried the same thing. They didn't touch it. And it all comes back to what we talked about before. The best food plot is what's the most attractive in your area at right. that time. Right, exactly. And it could be sorghum in an area where there's no high-quality food. Or it could be, you know, soybeans or anything else for that Yeah. Matter. And that's for that's up to you to figure out. That's really is, and that's why it's fun. I mean, don't ever let anybody tell you one way or the highway kind of deal. Yep, it's an experiment. But I have found that there are certain things that, depending on your situation, work better than right. Yeah. And I think we all do the more we do this. Right. Yeah. Um, did you want to touch on clover at all? Sure. So clover is a clover is a fantastic thing. Number one, it's Next to small grains, it's one of the first things that's going to green up in the springtime. Yep. So, really good aspect, but it's fantastic source in, in September and October. I mean, mm -hmm. some of the best early season bow hunts I've had have been up close. So while we're while we're September and October, at what point do you see that draw kind of diminishing? First frost <laughs> or later yeah, than that? It depends. Or later than that? I mean, for us, I mean, there was a time we had a lot of clover. Yep. And they were continuing to use that clover to some degree throughout most of hunting season until it became a putting green a lot of time. That was sometime in November. Yep. I feel that that is partly because we're some of the best green food sources right. in the area yep. until you get, you know, half a mile south of us where we've got, you know, cut corn fields, cut bean fields. Yep. So I think that has something to do with it. But... I've been to places where they've got beautiful clover in, in the end of October that's not being touched because yeah. they've got other better food sources right. in the neighborhood. Plus yeah. food sources, I think, can get overhunted, and that's another story. Yeah, exactly. That That's something our farm, for whatever for whatever the reason is, clover, I would say, is not, like, I, like if you tell me, you know, list your most favorite 
you know, food source to hunt over in October, September, October. Mm-hmm. They really do not hit our, our clover super hard okay. for whatever reason. Um, yeah, just never have. And I think our farm is a lot of younger, younger growth. And I think they just have a lot of browse. Okay. Um, that's the only thing I can figure out. But we still do have some of it. Um, you got to have something to mow during the summertime. <laughs> but, uh, I don't agree. Don't mow your clover. That's so one thing we were, we were going to talk about is when to plant clover. Yep. And at this point in time, today is May 18th, I believe. At this so point in time, I think most of us, maybe northern Pennsylvania, can still get away with it, depending on. But I think overall, on average, we've missed the window when we should be planting clover. Yep. I think yep. we get. I've seen more failed um, hay stands this time of year than I have um, at any other time of year. I see. And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, you're desperate on rain. Yep. So I mean, as long as we get adequate moisture, we usually can get started. Right now, we're kind of dry, so that's one thing that you would you would see affecting your, your clover. But number two is when we get into May and the soil starts to warm up into the 60s, you're starting to see all that first flush of, of summer annuals and, and grasses and stuff like that. That's a really high competition. If you don't keep after that, it will quickly choke out young clover. Right. So if you're going to plant your clover, do one of two things. Get it started in April, you know, early April, or wait until September and yep. put it in with some oats. Yep. You know, at that point in the year, most of your summer annuals have been matured. You can kill them. You can till them under. You can just spray them dead and no-till, whatever that may be. But your your weed base is a whole lot less competitive at that time. Yeah. So then you're you're back to the same square one of we just got to have enough moisture. Right. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Cool deal. So from here. What's your uh, what's your plans look like? You know, the next month to before we get the fall stuff. So we've got. Uh, I think it's going to be acre and a quarter. I think I'm going to tinker with this sorghum see if I like it. The rest of it, we had planted a fall blend last year, and I had a lot of rye. I think we had 200 pounds per acre of rye overseeded over top of the. The legumes and the brassicas and everything else, and the deer annihilated in the daylights. And the only thing that's left now is some rye, and they're starting to go into heads now. We had some chickweed um, this spring. I sprayed the chickweed dead just because I was concerned that if the chickweed gets too thick, I wouldn't be able to broadcast anything into it without tilling. Yeah. So one thing we, we got away from doing, we're not tilling, and no, I don't have a drill. Um, we are just no-tilling, um, broadcasting, and cold-packing. Dragging if it if it uh, with a, a log or a tree or something. Yep, works very well. So I sprayed the chickweed deads while we have a standing rise. So the next thing I'm going to do is mid June we're going to go in and broadcast 50 pounds per acre of buckwheat, and we are going to immediately roll it with a cola packer <clears throat> and get it uh, smashed into the soil a little bit better. And last we're going to go across with one quart per acre of glyphosate. Wrap up. Yep and kill it all dead and cross our fingers and hope it rains yeah and in theory what's going to happen is we're going to have a nice stand of buckwheat come up through and most of the time excluding this one area where we're planting sorghum we don't have a great deal or a great density of deer in the middle of the property okay um, in the summertime so they'll let the buckwheat go on it'll, it'll be a nice cover crop 
but buckwheat does a great job of smothering weeds out. And what I've learned is it makes a great thing to plant into in mid-August. Uh, you can broadcast whatever fall blend you want into it and repeat the process of roll, rolling with a colder packer, dragging, and mowing for that matter. Colder packing is better and spraying it dead with Roundup and you've got a nice mulch over top of your seeds yeah. that you don't have to till. Yeah. Um, it's a little tricky in the beginning. Your soil's not conditioned to it, but the longer you do it, the easier it is. Okay. And uh, in my opinion, it just makes sense. I hate tilling. I yeah. just hate it. Right. Well, it, yeah, it makes a difference where you're tilling at, too, for you guys. Up <laughs> True, when you've got more rocks rock. and soil. <laughs> so when, you, yeah. when you're on a farm like Devon's, you're sitting on six feet of topsoil. You just don't know yeah. what to do with you. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can get a triax or a trax. You can get a track of and dig it up, and you can still plant stuff. Here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are super, super blessed there where we're at. We don't have to. Uh, when we were planting, a little story. When we were planting corn last week. We had it, we had planted. We tilled everything, and then it was like six o'clock. We got started planting. And we were like, you know what? We're just gonna keep planting. Turn the headlights on the tractor. I think we got done at like eleven o'clock night, something like mm -hmm. that. But uh, we were just about done. There was this little rock out there. It was maybe, I don't know, it was probably eight inches long. I, I went out, grabbed it, threw it out. I told Dad, I was like, man, I think that's the biggest rock I ever threw out of our food plots. <laughs> you don't even know how good you got you, know, you saw the walls of rocks around yeah. some of our food plots. That's I a did. lot of rock picking. Yep. Yep. So one last thing I want to leave you that I skipped over and I wanted to revert back to. If you're planting corn, a lot of people... Uh, I know a lot of people, like you have a corn planter, yep. but a lot of people will get a neighboring farm or something with a corn planter and plant it for them, which is a heck of a lot better than, than trying to do it yourself sometimes because yep. it's a big investment. You might as well have it done right. But one thing that I've seen in the world of grain growing starting to grow and I think would be a fantastic fit for food plots, instead of planting your corn every 30 inches with your corn planter, Plant it every 60 inches and let one row out. And there's a couple reasons why you would do that. Number one, you could increase the row, you could decrease the row spacing to get more plants in that 60 inch row so it would be closer to your same population. But if you do that, you don't have to worry about getting a big rig in to spray. You can use your ATV and drive in between the rows and spray Roundup dead, you know, weeds dead, assuming it's Roundup pretty corn. Uh, but you can spray all that dead, keep your, your cornfield clean with simple things like your backpack sprayer, ATV sprayer. And the other great thing is then you have enough sunlight, you can go right in and broadcast something fall. Right. So then you'll have the combination of grain and greens same at way. the same location. Yep. And then you're not running into the issue of, you know, one food plus maturing in this location of your farm. And this food plus maturing at a different time, and you're playing the hopscotch game. Like for you, you've got everything kind of centrally located, don't you? Fairly, yeah, yeah. Um, but we do that some too. I, I guess I never mentioned we do broadcast into the corn. So sure. Yeah. Now you've had pretty good success though, right? We have. Um, and there again, anything broadcasting is weather dependent. I mean, so obviously it's standing corn, so we're not running over it with a call pack or anything. No. <clears throat> so, and it always, you know, does better. You know, if you're broad, trying to broadcast seed into the middle of a one-acre stand of corn, you're not going to have a lot in the middle just because it's not getting a ton of light. Right. Um, it's always better around the edges, which 
works well too because around the edges is usually what the deer have picked off yep. you know anyways so yeah that, that's a very good point double up if you can yeah um i, I think the the more you have stuff you want to grow the less weeds you have right and you know people can talk about weedy plots are okay and that's true in the summertime but if you have summer annual weeds in your plot going into fall and that's what you're relying on you're you're losing your value of your food plot in the fall yep yep so, yeah, so hey, whatever you're doing, whether you're maintaining some clover with some herbicide, whether you're finishing up your corn and your bean planting, uh, whether you're planting a cover crop, or whether you're just letting them go into that, um, i I big advocate for it. Get your soil test done. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> for sure. One plug here. So if you do need, if you are in southeast PA, which is where we're from, mm -hmm. and need soil tests, seed, whatever, um, you can reach out to either one of us. I think we'd uh, be able to hook you up. We have corn seed, bean seed, uh, clover, and all the fall stuff here at the bow shop here. And uh, yeah. please, yeah, please do for sure. Um, this is a great resource here. Um, got to throw that little tidbit in. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Now it's it, it is uh, Devon's got a great source here, and if uh, if you reach out to us, um, we'll be glad to look at your soil tests and, and point you in the right direction of what you might need. But I think that's going to do it for this week. I think we, we covered a pretty big topic of information and kind of sprinkled a little bit of the edges of it. I think right. it's going to open us up to uh, to a lot more in the future. Yeah, but, for sure. So one thing I'll leave you with, and it's a little bit controversial, I'll open up to a next one, another food, uh, podcast in the future, is do you need to actually hunt over your food plots? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let that stir and let you think about that until we do another podcast in the future because I think that could ruffle some feathers. <laughs> Sounds good. That's what we're here to do: ruffle feathers, right? Oh, why not? Why not? Very good. So, hey, till next time. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Devon. Yep. Later.